You're listening to Radio Illumini, and this is the Martin V Classic Disco and Dance Show. We're taking a look today at a mixture of late 1980s dance tracks, all seven of which are personal memories for me, and I'll be joined after the music by regular guest and popular media commentator Jack Slaymaker for a chat about the artists, the tracks, and anything else that comes up.
So just a reminder, you're listening to the Martin V Classic Disco and Dance Show here on Radio Illumini, where we shine a light on the hidden and the unknown. And today we're shining a light on some late 1980s dance tracks. And I've got, as usual, popular media commentator Jack Slaymaker here to discuss them with me. Hello, Jack. Hi, Martin. Nice to be here. Good to have you on the show, as always. And of course, I couldn't help uh, reflecting on the fact that the music we're listening to today, whilst being a, a personal memory for me, for the most part, was actually being played in clubs when you were a toddler. Yeah, I was actually alive for when this music was um, was done. I think that's probably... That, yeah, fair. well, it's not, not necessarily a first, but it's right. uh, maybe a second. Yeah, yeah. maybe a second. <laughs> I mean, were there any that you had heard before? No, actually, I don't think there was. Strange thing. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's that strange, really, because um, not all of them were hits. I think three of them were UK hits. That was uh, yeah. Sydney Youngblood, Cliff Richard and Con Can. But you don't really hear them much anymore. To be fair, I, I have a bit of a weird, obscure back catalogue of music knowledge, which I didn't even know I had until I started talking to you about this show. Um, but yeah, like late 80s, early 90s seems to clearly be quite the blind spot. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm going to come clean and I'll say probably just because they are personal memories for me. I quite like all of them. So a, a rare sort of uh, moment of enthusiasm. But uh, let's just have a quick rundown of what we heard at that because uh, there were seven tracks. So the first was um, Sandra and We'll Be Together from 1989. The second was Sydney Youngblood, If Only I Could from 1989. Number three was Cliff Richard with Stronger Than That, 1989. Number four was Clubhouse and Deep In My Heart from 1990. Uh, then it was Raul Orellana, The Real Wild House from 1989, Con Can and I Beg Your Pardon from 1988, and finally Dandy with Casanova from 1989. So most of them from 1989, in fact, one from the year before and one from the year after. So let's have a look at the first one from Sandra. Uh, I, I remember when we first listened to it, you said... Uh, that seemed like a good name for a high-energy singer. Well, it sounds about standard, doesn't it? Very, <laughs> not exactly unusual from just you know, like Sandra or Karen, high-energy singer. It's very strange. It has the sort of requisite anonymity, doesn't it? Yeah, it's just a bit weird. I mean, they're they're very. They always just seem to have housewife names um, for like these high-energy dance tracks, and then you're like, yes, and here's Sandra. I, I know. Yeah, cool. it, it, it's, it's, it is strange. And I, I don't think that idea of just giving an artist, you know, their first name was really much done before the advent of high energy. I can't I can't think of any examples. I think you might have just given them a slightly more exciting first name. But the trouble was, as, as we mentioned in the previous show about high energy, even even when they used their second name, it often still sounded like a housewife. Yeah, <laughs> it's very true. Because it would have been something like Sandra Richards. Yeah, well, there you we know. go. Sandra Richards <laughs> and her a very popular high-energy disco track, played yeah. in game clubs everywhere. But in, in actual fact, um, in this case, it was Sandra Loe, L-A-U-E-R. Um, and she was German, but with, a, I believe, a French father, uh, hence the name Loe. And although she wasn't unknown at all really in the UK uh, she actually had an amazingly long and successful career over on the continent because first of all she was in the late era disco group Arabesque never had any hits in the UK and I'm not sure they did massively well even in uh, continental Europe but they were very big in Japan and the USSR as it then was and then she turned to doing uh, solo performances during most of the rest of the 80s, which is the time period we're looking at here. And then finally, she was uh, one of the vocalists in the 90s sort of ambient dance group Enigma. And you might remember Enigma, do you? 
frankly. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, this song, like, as you said, like this song came from her third album. I was there like, how has this woman had three albums? She's done a lot, you know. I mean, when you really look look back, I, she she's actually had a very long and successful career, just never really made it in, in the UK. Yeah, I was, I'm not going to lie. I was quite surprised that this was from a third album. I, I think it will be a surprise to many people, even if they like the track, um, because, as I say, she is just not a name that is known in, in, in this country. To be honest, I found the song quite dull. You can't understand a word she's saying. The backing track's kind of well enough put together, but it's kind of bland. Like, I just, there was just nothing about this song that I found particularly endearing or made me want to keep listening to it. I mean, it's not like I hated it. I mean, we've had some tracks where I get past like the first verse and I'm just there, like, I don't know if I can finish this song, it's awful. But it just had nothing to it. I, I think actually, sort of looking at a lot of her solo work now, you can very much see the seeds of what she went on to do in Enigma. Because although I wouldn't describe a track like We'll Be Together as ambient dance, it does have something of that feel to it, doesn't it? Maybe? I don't know. I'm not I think, sure. you know, it, it's almost like she was edging her way over to that direction. Because interestingly, she had the same producer for her solo career as she had as part of Enigma. So all the music, if you like, came from the same place. Yeah. Um, and even more interestingly, uh, it was the same person who became her husband. So. <laughs> <laughs> Things going well, marry a producer. Or if you've just been with him long enough, it's fine. It happens all the time, movies, films. Well, it does. And, and I mean, to, to be honest, it doesn't seem like a bad call on her part because, I mean, you know, yeah, marry your producer if you think he's going to be successful enough. But um, in this case, um, Michael Cretu, who was the guy in question, actually was successful. And of course, Enigma did go on to have some chart hits in the UK, didn't they? But as I say, it all it all just floated by me, really. Mm, I don't think they were ever like a mega popular group. Um, no, they you know they they were more recognised than Sandra as a solo artist in the UK at least. And, and I don't think she was personally credited for any of the vocals. So it's not like, you know, the advent of Enigma would have made her known as an individual singer. Yeah. Um, and I don't think she was the only singer involved in Enigma either. But um, anyway, so yeah, I mean, I, I assume uh, her career sort of eventually dried up when Enigma stopped being popular, which I guess was the mid to late 90s. Um, I don't think they did much past 96, to be honest, 97. Yeah, I, I, I would have thought about that time. I've not heard of her doing anything since, but I mean, you know, she, she basically had, you could say a 20 year career, it's not bad going, is it? Well, I was going to say, it's not bad going, not at all, considering the fact that we, we've looked at a lot of artists whose career spans the better part of three years, if that's <laughs> something, you know, or if, if it even reaches that. Yeah, she, she did astonishingly well. So um, and then we move on to someone who didn't do so well, I, I guess, which was uh, Sydney Youngblood. Interestingly, this was a number three hit in the UK, so I was I was wondering whether maybe you would remember it, but you, you said you didn't. No, um, and it was his only top ten hit as well. I think he had a couple of others which made it into like the charts, but not really anything to write home about. But no, I didn't remember it. I, 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 I do remember, well, I say remember, I do know the name Sidney Youngblood. I didn't think I did start with, and then I was like, I went away and looked at his other music and I actually do know a couple of the other tracks, bizarrely. This this one was a, it was a funny old one. <laughs> I mean, it's um, it's got a very sort of laid back, chilled out feel, hasn't it, for a dance track? Well, it was just, yeah, I mean, yes, it was... I mean, it took it back to some sort of like heavy funk roots, didn't it? Like, especially in the intro of the track, which I, I love. But it was such an eclectic track. Like, if you took 
any part of that track at any point. You could almost say, oh, that belongs in the 70s, that belongs in the 80s, that belongs in the 90s. It was, it was a weird mix of kind of decades almost. Obviously, it was way too synthy to be a 70s track, but the, with the funk backing and when the, when the synth dies down a little bit in certain places, you could get away with, with thinking that was a 70s song. The synth makes it feel very 80s. It also kind of has this like forward thinking, almost like 90s house electronic type vibe to it in places as well. It's just... Yeah, there, there, I, there's a lot of different stuff going on there, isn't there? And I think you've also you've also got some quite nice acoustic guitar throughout it. Yeah, it's it was a very eclectic track. And I still, I've listened to it four times now, and I still don't really know whether I like it or not. It's very unusual. I mean, I, I don't really think there was anything like it even at the time, although it did use a lot of features of music that was current in 1989. As you say, it also used a lot of other things. And, uh, you know, he had a very distinctive voice as well. A great, great vocalist, in fact, I thought. Yeah, no, I think he's got great vocals. It's just the actual arrangement that I, I can't decide whether I like or not. But again, it varies swings and roundabouts, like, you know, from when I from when I listen to it to the next. Yeah, an interesting track. As I, um, I like it because I just think it's nice when you find the odd track, like Sydney Youngbloods, where you, you hear some acoustic instruments being played. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, it was still very heavy on the synth and the electronic, but it, as you said, it, it had it had something else to it. We've got the first two tracks there. Now, I mean, in terms of uh, categorising the music, I deliberately haven't said this is a high-energy show because I'm not really sure it is. I, th- I think the Sandra track was probably... Uh, an example of very late high energy, but I mean, I would say heavily influenced by other things as well. I don't think Sydney Youngblood is high energy at all, really. I I would say that is more sort of commercial dance with with a lot of uh, sort of foretaste of the 90s and and, and some looking back, as you said, to, to previous music styles as well. Yeah, and I think, to be honest, there was a lot of looking back in the 90s, wasn't there? There was a, almost like a 60s resurgence was it within popular house and some dance music. So it's not, you know, it, it's not kind yeah, of... Yeah, that's true, actually, because I suppose we were on, on the cusp of um, acts like um, Delight, you know, with uh, Groove is in the Heart, which, which was quite derivative of, of older music styles, wasn't it? It sort of echoed back to the sort of psychedelia of the early 70s yeah so then we're going on to uh cliff richard another chart entry which i I think got to number 16 and of course we already had a a discussion about one of his other dance tracks uh from a similar era which you didn't like at all um i just don't have the heart who are these tracks for i don't understand who these tracks are for they're not good in my opinion, they're, they're not particularly great tracks. It could literally be anyone singing them for the most part. I, I just and it's not really in Cliff Richard's repertoire, so I, I don't I don't know who these are for. I just, it, it, I it's an interesting it. one, isn't it? You know, when when you get um, artists that have been around as long as Cliff Richard had, even then. I, I, I suppose you know you've always got to take a decision as 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 an artist of that kind. You know what kind of material am I going to do? Um, and I suppose you've you've got to sort of ring the changes to some degree. Otherwise, you know he'd still be singing rock and roll from the early '60s. But you know I do take your point that despite having to ring the changes, it's like it is interesting to speculate on why he decided to go in for dance music not really anything he'd been involved with before i I mean personally i think this track is a big improvement on the other one 
Um, well, I think that would have been hard not to achieve. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I actually didn't dislike um, I Just Don't Have the Heart, but I, I do completely agree that it, it's not a particularly original sounding track. Um, I thought this one was a bit better. It uh, To me, it had a little bit of a sort of northern soul feel going on with it, actually. But it, it could just be that when you reach a certain point in your career and have been very successful, maybe you just don't really care whether things work or not you know it was a midlife career crisis i was thinking for example of um the career of elizabeth taylor and she did some of the most weird films in the 60s and 70s you know when she was if you like past her main career and on i i've often wondered why she did them because i don't think they were massively successful a lot of them were not well reviewed either so they, they were neither popular nor critical successes but i suppose maybe she just thought it would be something interesting to do and she'd got to the point where she didn't really care if she made money at them or not and it could be that cliff richard felt something like that yeah i mean there's a lot of artists whether actors or, or others who, who do a similar sort of thing you know they make their money and then kind of <clears throat> almost fade into a level of obscurity where they pop back in and do something like a Hollywood film or something big every now and again, but then do loads of um, little side projects. Elijah Wood is is an actor who does that an awful lot. He was Frodo in Lord of the Rings, but a lot of his films are, are weird, really indie, weird films that he does, which is quite interesting considering he's he's such a popular household name. But anyway, we'll we'll move on to Clubhouse, which I I'm not sure charted anywhere. But and when I heard the name Clubhouse, I thought, oh yeah, well th- this is bound to just be a sort of anonymous studio project who who did a few dance tracks. But then when I looked them up, I, I discovered it wasn't quite like that because uh, Clubhouse had been going since the early 80s and done quite a lot actually. Most notably, another disco remake of Steely Dan's Do It Again. Uh, with Clubhouse, they did it as, as a sort of medley mashup with the Michael Jackson track Billie Jean. It's a very odd kind of thing to do. Uh, so anyway, they they had done that. I don't I don't know what else what what they'd done since 1983. But then they have this track. I always quite liked this track. It was just one you know you would hear in in uh, in nightclubs. I don't think it uh, charted. Um, I haven't heard that it charted in Europe, but it might have somewhere. Um, what what did you think of it? Yeah, I actually quite liked it. I mean, it's not something I'd have on just to listen to, but I can imagine it'd be great for clubs because the the tempo kind of goes up and down quite a bit across the song, which I think is always really good when you when you have a dance song, when you're out on the dance floor and you've got something which kind of brings you up a little bit, but then takes you back down to bring you back up again, as opposed to just being a walloping kind of high energy constant for seven minutes. I felt like out of all of the tracks that we've we've listened to today it was the most forward-facing yeah um, i mean it it was actually 1990 this one Um, and i think most of the mixes came out in 91 uh so so there is a reason for what you're saying it it, it probably is the latest of of the seven um and i and i think you can hear that um yeah i think it's a great dance track uh you know and it's as, as you say it's got uh a fair bit of variety, you know, as, as it goes through. Yeah, I, I don't really have any issues with it. Apparently, they had quite a big success in the UK in 1994 with a track called Light My Fire, which, and I thought, oh, that, that must be a cover. Or I was thinking it was either a cover of the 60s song, Light yeah. My Fire, or it was a cover of Dan Hartman's Relight My Fire. But when I listened to it, it turned out to be neither. And I realised I didn't know this track at all. (laughs) (laughs) But apparently that was their biggest success. And I think their career sort of went into decline after that. And and that was it for them. But then we've got someone who, Raul Orellana. So we've got uh, The Real Wild House. (laughs) 
I must admit, I always like this track because this is another one where you've got the nice uh, guitar going all the way through it. Uh, I guess it's sort of Spanish style acoustic guitar. But I always used to wonder, even at the time, and I would, I'm still wondering really, despite the title, Real Wild House, was this house? No. <laughs> no. It was very 80s. It was a, it had a lot of 80s synth. For me, there was almost no measure of house in this track. Um, there was like the. I, I agree with what you're saying about the Latin guitar. I like that um, because again, it just adds that certain soul back into the music that sometimes you don't find so much with with that 80s music. But no, I, I'd say this is very definitely 80s synth with you know, the addition of the, the Latin guitar. I mean, it was, uh, d- despite your comment, I think it was still relatively forward-looking because it had the, the little piano bits, which I, I, is something I always associate more with the, the early 90s. He was a he was actually a, a, a DJ from Barcelona by trade, so not really a performer as such. He did a couple of albums and there was... Yeah, the second single was uh, Can't Stop the House. So he, he clearly did think he was house, but you don't agree. No, but then perception is nine-tenths of reality, isn't it? So if he thinks he's house, then, you know, that's that's fine. Maybe other people out there would, would disagree with me, but um, I, I wouldn't put him down as a house. So then we've got a track which I know you did like because we... we uh, we listened to it a while back, did we not? And we've got the Con Can track. Yeah, um, I beg your pardon, which was the name of the track, not me speaking to you. Um, a Canadian track, so a little bit of an outlier in these seven. Uh, the only one coming from North America. But of course, Canada was far more Euro-facing than the US in, in terms of its music. Just to explain a little bit about the name Con Can, um, that was actually a play on a rule enforced in Canadian music radio where they had to play at least 30% Canadian content. So the rule was therefore known as Canadian content or probably Can Con for short. So these people decided to call themselves Con Can, which would have been entirely meaningless everywhere outside of Canada. Well, it's like a lot of stuff in Canada ends up being entirely meaningless outside of Canada. Like, when you look at the chart hits and stuff, although obviously Concan not so much. Uh, yeah, I, I, and I mean, it, it, it's an interesting track because, of course, it's notable for its sampling of the uh, sort of midsection of the Lynn Anderson country hit Rose Garden for, from 1971. And, of course, it is from that track where this track gets its name, I beg your pardon, because that was part of the lyrics of Rose Garden. Um, but there are many other songs sampled in here as well. So, so what was your what were your general thoughts about the track? I mean, I love it. Absolutely love it. Like, this is one of those tracks that I have listened to so many times because it is so bizarre. Like, from start to finish, it is one of the weirdest, most eclectic tracks I have heard in just ages but i love it like as you said it's got loads of weird little musical references none of which i had heard of and most of which i only know about because i was reading about it afterwards um but apparently they sample or and i put this in air quotes recreate eight different other songs within their song i was reading through the things that are sampled or recreated and, and i was thinking yeah, but that, that that actually isn't the complete list because there were still a few others that I know they've put in there. It's just I couldn't actually think of what the original record was because they, they used quite short snippets, especially for the bits they recreated. But I think really it, it was almost entirely samples or recreated snippets just sort of held together by a, a minimal amount of original material, really very true but when all said and done i just i loved it i thought it was great really really liked it i mean i think you know for for all that it does work it's a nice sort of fun energetic track Um, and i believe it did get to number five in the uk it did and it um it actually got to number three in the netherlands 
Yeah. It's not the the Dutch have thrown a curveball when we've looked at charts, especially when it came to like early our earlier shows when we were looking at disco. You'd be going through and be like, oh, it got to like number 15. And then you'd look at the Netherlands and it'd be like, it got to number one. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. I, I, I mean, European charts are a, a never ending source of amazement, really. I mean, it did really well globally, considering it's such a weird song. Like, it got to five in the UK, it only made it to 15 in the US, three in the Netherlands, got to number seven in New Zealand, eight in Germany. Like, it, it did really well as a global track. It did. I mean, presumably also charted in Canada, did it? Yeah, but not very highly. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that did sometimes happen with Canadian music. Um, you want to play it, but you don't want to listen to it. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I, I think they were probably so fed up with having it forced on them by, by the, the CanCon rule that they tended to turn people off it, actually. It's one of those tracks that, I mean, you could call it a studio project, but in many ways it almost has the feel of a bedroom project. <laughs> yeah, it's not... It's definitely not a highly polished track, is it? Putting it politely. But I think that kind of adds to the charm of it. Yes, you know, I mean, I was just wondering how much it might have actually cost to produce. I'm saying this more in admiration than anything else. I suspect it wasn't massively expensive. So, so therefore, to have that degree of commercial success, most of it will have been pure profit, surely. Mm. Probably the biggest amount was what they had to pay Lynn Anderson. Yeah, very true. <laughs> and what a weird thing to make your sort of star sample. Yeah, I mean, it just... Nothing about this song should work at all. From start to finish, nothing about this song should work. It should be a complete car crash, but it's not. Good, so we're on to our last track. Um... <laughs> Uh, such, such a weird one because I, I always think it's uh, I'm never quite sure whether it's Dandy by Casanova or Casanova by Dandy well, I'm glad and, it's not just me I'm still not very clear on that and I, I've got I've literally gone to have a look for it and I can't see, I still can't figure it out I think I, I'm, I'm almost 100% sure it is Casanova by Dandy but given the fact that they reference the name of the group in the vocals it's all very confusing. But anyway, yeah, a, a, a song by Dandy. Dandy being an Italian project fronted by singer Alessandro Parone. I really like this. I mean, it, you know, it's no work of art, but I think it's a great sort of fun dance track in, a, you might say, typical Eurobeat style. And I do remember it being massively popular in, in nightclubs. What did you make of it? Yeah, no, I really liked it as well. I mean, it's very 80s, isn't it? Like, it's very kind of like high energy 80s. Very. And almost incessant and violently so. <laughs> I mean, not... it's pretty relentless, isn't it? There, there, there are no sort of shades of grey, really. No, and there's no kind of let up. I can, I can, I can definitely see this being popular in clubs. Like, it's, I thought it was quite a, a good song for what it was. The backing track is quite manic and unrelenting but yeah. i guess if you're halfway through a night out and you're you know merry and and just want something to throw yourself about to this would be the song for it apparently this guy alessandro had uh, some chart successes in europe um and I, I i haven't been able to find out with what but i would imagine this might be a strong contender i mean obviously this was not a hit in the uk and he, he also performed live in Europe. So again, he wasn't really the typical sort of anonymous uh, high energy dance project that I was expecting. Uh, you know, he was actually a proper singer who did live performances, but um, you know, a, a, a great track. Um, yeah, so that's uh, that's the seven. Did you have, well, I, I was gonna say, did you have a favorite, but I'm, I'm guessing your favorite was Con Cam, right? Yeah, didn't even need to ask, no, absolutely. No. I will say the more I listen to the the Dandy song, no Casanova song by Dandy, the more I listen to it, the more I like it, um, and the more my heart rate goes up as I try and sort of you know <laughs> make it through the whole song. But um, yeah, Concan definitely, definitely <laughs> the the best of it. 
Do you think we've got any more mileage left in the 80s, Jack? Or shall we go back to the uh, older stuff? What, what do you reckon? To be perfectly honest, I think you could probably spend another many shows on the 80s music, but I'm not going to be mad at going back to the 70s for a while. It's where I feel comfortable. <laughs> so I think probably some more 80s stuff to come. I haven't quite decided what that would be, but uh, I will let you know as, as soon as I've decided and uh, be great if you can join me for those shows in the future. Yeah, always. sharing his opinions on those tracks today and we've pretty much reached the end of the show so we'll be back with you again very shortly with some more dance floor memories but for now this is martin v saying thank you very much for listening and goodbye for now